Folks, um, we are celebrating this week Christmas in July, and uh, you know, we're working through God's Word this year. We've been in the Old Testament up to this point, just looking at what is God's plan, what is God's story, and how do we fit into God's story? It's been an incredible time, an amazing time. I've enjoyed this, but today is the day that we get to the New Testament, in particular, we get to the birth of Jesus. And um, it, it's, it's a great reminder for us right here in the middle of the year where we don't typically celebrate Christmas. I mean, how many of you remember a Christmas where it was going to be 96, 97 degrees that day? Probably none of us unless you live way down south somewhere. Uh, but, uh, but it's an amazing reminder for us today just of our Savior and His birth through the singing of these Christmas songs and then the, the reading of the Christmas story. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great time just to stop and reflect. And I'm thankful for this opportunity we have today to reflect. What we're going to talk about today in, in the sermon portion is um, it, it's centered on Christmas, but it's not a sermon that you would typically hear at Christmas time. And you're going to see what I'm talking about here in just a few moments. But um, today, really, we're, we're, we're focusing, yes, on the, on the significance of the birth of Jesus, but we're looking a little bit wider, a little bit more of a broad perspective as we approach God's Word here in just a few moments. As I was thinking about the birth of Jesus, there was three questions that came to my mind, and I want to work to answer these three questions, because honestly, these are three questions that every single person should answer in their life. Three questions every person should answer in their life. And here's the first question. Write these things down, okay? Here's the first question. Why did Jesus have to be born? Why did Jesus have to be born? There comes a time in every person's question at life in, they which, in which they must answer this question. And really the answer is simple. Jesus had to be born because of man's sin and failure to meet God's standard. To put it shortly, to put this answer very quickly, Jesus had to be born because of my sin and because of your sin. That is why Jesus had to be born. If there's one thing that we've seen all throughout the Old Testament, we've clearly seen that God chooses to use fallible human beings, people who are prone to make mistakes, people who are sinful. They're not perfect. That's what fallible means, not perfect. He uses fallible human beings to carry out his plan. These people didn't have the ability to live lives of perfection. Now, some of these are people who were more than willing, and in fact, they were eager to follow God's will and whatever it was that he called them to do. Now, there's some other ones that we've talked about in our series so far in which, um, you know what, they were, they were actually very sinful people. They were wicked people, actually. Um, but God still cho chose to use them to carry out his plan. His will still is followed through with all these people. But one of the common traits that we see in leaders and influential people all throughout the Old Testament is that they were often looked to as someone who would save other people, right? Over and over, you think of Gideon, right? Gideon was looked to as a person who saved other people, saved the nation of Israel. You think about Moses, right? He, he pulled the people at God's command. He pulled the people out of the nation of Israel, uh, their, excuse me, the nation of Egypt, their slavery in Egypt, and he brought them to the promised land. This happens over and over and over again through the Old Testament where other people look at a certain human being and they think, that is a person who is going to save me. That is a person who's going to deliver me. That's a person who's going to make my life better. 
But the problem is that each one of those people throughout the Old Testament is, like I said, they're a fallible, imperfect human being. And what God is looking toward in his story is a person who is not fallible, who is perfect, who truly does have the ability to deliver the people, to save the people. Tim Keller is a pastor up in New York City, and, and years ago I heard him preach a message in which he, he talked about this, this topic. And here's part of what he had to say in this, in this message, in talking about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us or given to us, credited to our account. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave everything that was comfortable, everything that was familiar, and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but who was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom, whom you love from me, now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you, God, love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes the people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. That's the end of the quote from Keller. Folks, in all reality, Jesus is the epitome of what all of those people in the Old Testament were truly looking for. So as we talk about Christmas today, we think about this idea of the birth of Jesus. We do so understanding that Jesus had to come because mankind as a whole is a fallible human race that always fell short of God's standard of perfection. And folks, you cannot have a relationship with God. You cannot um, spend eternity with God having not met that standard of perfection. You can't do it. But Jesus' coming is a wonderful, wonderful occasion. For every single human being, there should be this sense of joy that accompanies the coming of Jesus, right? We just sang about that, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. A sing, choirs of angels, sing in exultation, sing all you citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We sang that song, what child is this? 
What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, this King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud or bring him praise, the babe, the son of Mary. A little while ago, we had the awesome opportunity to listen to several of you read the Christmas story. That's a wonderful story, isn't it? From the beginning to end, to read of the way that Jesus came. But why was it that Jesus had to come in the first place? Honestly, it's because of my sin. It's because of your sin. Yes, he's to be praised for coming. Absolutely praise him for coming, but never ever forget that the reason he had to come is because we were sinful, sinful human beings. So that's the first question. Why did Jesus have to be born? Because of our sin. Here's the second question that you should answer at some point in your life. What was the primary reason Jesus was born? What was the primary reason Jesus was born? Was it, was it so, that he could, so that we could have peace? Yes, it was so we could have peace. Uh, was it so that we could have joy? Yes. Was it so that God could reveal himself to us? Yes. Did Jesus come to teach us truth? Yes, he did. Did, did, did Jesus come to heal the sick? Yes. Did he come so that we could see what true love looks like? Yes. Did Jesus come to offer all humanity a relationship with his Father? Yes. The answer is yes to all of those. And honestly, you ask similar questions to these. Yes, Jesus came for these purposes. But these are secondary purposes to why Jesus came. There's one primary reason to why Jesus came. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at the primary reason that Jesus was born. In answering this question of what is the primary reason that Jesus was born, really the author of Hebrews hits the nail right on the head. We're going to start reading in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would, or would they have not, Would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. He's talking to God there. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Last year in 2018, we'd studied verse by verse through the book of of Hebrews. And this is one of the passages that we looked at. We studied in depth. However, as I thought about this idea of the reason that Jesus came to earth, not one of the reasons, but the reason Jesus came to earth I knew that this is a passage that we needed to read again, to look at. 
Verses 1 through 3 of this, of this passage of Scripture are simply a reminder of the fact that there is nothing that we can do by ourselves to save ourselves. In fact, if that was possible, then the people in the Old Testament would have done so, been able to do so, because they were religious to the core. They did everything that God called them to do every single time. They offered the sacrifices every single time. But here's the deal. Those sacrifices could not take away the sins of the people. Last year, we talked about how it could only, the sacrifice could only cover up the sin of the people. Even the Old Testament, the people, they would offer those sacrifices over and over and over again. And yes, there was redemption found in those sacrifices, but the, the problem was that the Old Testament law, those sacrifices were incomplete. There was something that God had in mind that was greater that could, that could offer um, the, the sacrifice once and for all, for all the sins of the people, to take away the sins of the people. As we've been studying the Old Testament, one of the things we've, we've talked about how, is how this Old Testament law really is imperfect. It's limited. It can only go so far in paying the price for mankind's sin. And all throughout the Old Testament, we've been looking forward to that day in which God is going to provide the ultimate sacrifice that would completely take away the sin of the people. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't sin anymore. It simply means that with this perfect sacrifice, God is going to have the ability to look on a person and instead of seeing their sin and instead of seeing their separation from him, he's going to see the righteousness that has been imputed or given to them through Jesus' death and Jesus' sacrifice. So we go back to the question of what was the primary reason that Jesus was born? And here's the answer. Jesus was born so that he could be the perfect sacrifice through his death. So to put it shortly, Jesus was born to die. That's the primary reason. Yes, Jesus brought us peace. Yes, Jesus brought us joy. Yes, Jesus showed us the Father. But Jesus' primary reason for being born is to die. Now, folks, Jesus wasn't hesitant in that. It's one of the things we found here in Hebrews chapter 10. In fact, look at verse 5. Consequently, when, Jesus, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, this is Jesus speaking to God, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Folks, this is Jesus willingly laying aside his desires. He's laying aside his wants. He's laying aside his will for the sake of what God is calling him to do, for the sake of dying. He's saying, God, it's prophesied in your word that I'm going to do this. So here I am. I give all of who I am so that I can follow through with your will. And folks, through the great love that Jesus had for us and through the great love that Jesus had for his Father, he gave everything, everything, his home in heaven, his comfort, his very life. He gave everything so that we can, as we find in verse 10, so we can be sanctified, so we can be made holy, have a right relationship with God. Jesus gave everything. Folks, when you really stop and you think about the implications of this, it should absolutely astound you that the God of the universe, the creator of everything, would be willing to pay this kind of price for a bunch of, a bunch of people who don't deserve it. Because that's the reality of it. None of us deserve this kind of favor. 
that God would go to the lengths that he did to offer us grace and offer us mercy is beyond our, even our imagination. Never, ever forget God's grace and mercy. Never forget that Jesus was born to die. Hold on to that reality. Remind yourself of it every single day. Or as a friend of mine says, preach the gospel to yourself every day, reminding yourself of the depravity that you came from, the grace and mercy that have been offered you, and now the life that you have through Jesus. Many years ago, during the days of Tsar Nicholas of Russia, There was a young man whose father was a friend of the czar, and this young man is given a great responsibility. He was charged with doling out the money to the troops in the barracks. The problem was that this young man had a gambling habit. He used the troops' money and was losing it rapidly. The troops were not being paid. An awesome debt was mounting. When he was told that Tsar Nicholas himself was going to come look at the books, He sat down and found out how much he owed, and then he wrote beneath it these words, too much to pay, who can pay? He laid a gun at his side and said that at midnight, he would do the only honorable thing that he could do. He would blow his brains out. As he was sitting there, he fell asleep. The czar himself walked by and had heard stories of the young man's dishonesty. He looked at the ledger and was ready to have him arrested. But then when he saw those words, too much to pay, who can pay, his heart was touched. The czar himself wrote under the words in the ledger, Nicholas can pay. And when the young man awoke, he checked the authenticity of the signature and found that it truly was that of Nicholas. He was so overwhelmed that he became the most loyal supporter of Nicholas from that time on, because in truth, only one person could pay, and that was Nicholas, the highest ranking representative of the government. And folks, that's the bottom line of the Christmas story. That is the bottom line of the Christmas story. There is not a single one of us who can pay. That debt is too much. Our sin is too great. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can pay, and he came to pay. The word became flesh, the Bible says. And he died on a cross. He shed real blood that dripped down onto real dirt. He felt real pain on a real cross, and he died for sinners. He died for you, and he died for me. That is why, that is the reason Jesus was born, was to die. He was born to die for you and for me. You know, think about the second verse of, um, of Jesus paid it all, the song. The second verse goes like this. Since nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garment white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Come on, church. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Jesus paid it all. All that debt that I owed and I could not pay because of the vast quantity and the depth of my sin, Jesus paid it for me. Talk about Christmas and the coming of Jesus. 
One of the reasons, no, the reason that Jesus came was to die in my place, to die in your place. At the core of the Christmas story, we see the love of God, the love that he's got for his son, the love that he's got for us as humans. In fact, I think about 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. See what kind of love? In other words, look at the kind of love that the Father has given us. Another translation says has lavished on us. Look at the kind of love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Look at that love. Richard Baxter was a Puritan theologian. He was a pastor back during the 1600s. And here's what he had to say about the love of God. He says, is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God, to be the son, the spouse, the love, the delight of the king of glory? Christian, believe this and think about it. That will extend to everlasting of the love which brought the Son of God's love from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to glory. That love which was weary, hungry, tempted, scorned, scourged, buffeted, spat upon, crucified, pierced, which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, sweated, bled, died. That love will eternally embrace you. Folks, do you know today that you are eternally embraced in the love of the baby that was born in Bethlehem, the one that we celebrate today, Jesus. Do you know that you are eternally embraced in the love of Jesus? That leads me to my third question. Do you know today, right now, that you are loved by God? Do you know that you are loved by God? Folks, God's love is clearly seen in the way that he sent Jesus to earth. So the question is, do you know that you are loved by God? If there's a question in your mind about whether or not that's true, then I want to encourage you to go to Scripture and look at the way God loves you. Some of you are in here today and, and you know, there's been a time in your life in which you said, yeah, I, I love God. I know that God loves me. But because of life circumstances, you're doubting it right now. The relationship issues that you're facing in your family and the sickness issues and, and whatever it is, you're doubting, God, do you really love me? Folks, look no further than the Christmas story to see that, yes, God really does love you. He loves you so much that he was willing to send his son to die for you. That is the level of love that God has for every single one of us. What kind of love is this? The love, the love the Father's given to us that we should be called the children of God. Folks, only someone who loves you like God does would go to the lengths of sending his son Jesus to earth to die in your place the way God did. So that's the last question. Do you know that you are loved by God? If, you, if not, and you wonder that, look no further than the story of Christmas. Look at no further than the birth of Jesus to see and understand God's love. Three questions. Three questions. Number one, why did Jesus have to be born? Because of my sin and because of your sin. Question number two, what was the primary reason Jesus was born? Tell me. To die. Question number three, do you 
know that you are loved by God. That's right. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we can celebrate the birth of the Savior. And it's an, it's an odd time to do so, Father. It's hot outside. Oh, but Father, there is never a wrong time to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can celebrate Christmas in July. This is something we can celebrate any day of the year. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place. And Father, we pray that in days to come, the implications and the, and the, the depth of that would never be lost from our minds and our hearts, that we remember it, we hold on to it with everything inside of us. Oh, Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.